So I'm joined today by Jennifer Powell. Jennifer has been a qualified executive coach since 2008 and an informal coach to her consultancy clients long before that. Before becoming a professional coach, Jennifer worked or was a partner at a global HR management consultancy where she consulted on change, strategy and inclusion across many international organisations. As an executive coach, she supports leaders in navigating a complex and challenging world and is skilled at working in an environment of turbulent change. Jennifer often works with clients to help the diversity shine and to lead inclusively. Her work extends to clients in Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Specific, the US, uh, South America and Africa. And today Jennifer joins me to talk about coaching executive women. So welcome Jennifer. Thank you Chayton and thanks for that introduction. I was really quite impressed. Well I, I would say it's a very impressive background and I'm looking forward to exploring your experiences and all I'm sure the success stories and stories that you can tell us about the coaching and obviously the consulting world that you came from and it's a very extensive background which I'm sure our listeners will enjoy listening to and uh, learning from. So Was that a euphemism for me being so old, Trader? <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling too well. When you say you've been in coaching 25 years, you think, yes. crikey. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if we may start, I'd, I'd like to ask the first question, which when I read the title and was, you know, understood what we were going to talk about was it just came to me that, you know, what do you mean by executive women? Such a good question, Chayton, because it is an amorphous term, isn't it? Mm. So what I mean by executive women are women who are in positions of leadership and all of the challenges that that brings. OK, so when you say women in leadership, we're not yeah. talking about senior leadership. It's just leadership at any level. I think we can talk about leadership at any level. OK. Mm. Um, and quite a lot of my work has been at senior levels. What I know is that whether they're at senior levels or at other executive levels, some of the challenges they face are the same. Yeah, OK. And I would agree that because it's quite interesting when I speak to many coaches, they say, oh, I'm an executive coach. But when you unpick that, it's because an executive in a charity would be different to a multi-billion, multinational organisation. It's sort of different challenges with the businesses etc but at the end of the day they're, they're both leaders and the challenges of leading in this new world in this challenging environment are the same challenges are just maybe more macro rather than micro challenges with the executive yeah. level yeah. yeah and i wouldn't even use the terms macro and micro i would okay. say they're in different contexts okay and so the context throws up different challenges so for instance i've coached a leader in cancer uk yeah and you might say that's a smaller organization a micro organization but just think about the context in which that person is working and the impact that organization has literally on people's lives compared mm -hmm. to dave working in a normal widget making uh, factory which might be global and huge it's sure. about the context yeah and I guess it's interesting word that context, isn't it? Because the context that we perceive that they're in, but actually as a leader, you're in your own context and you'll see the world as you see it as the leader. And those some of those issues and challenges for you are huge. But on the us looking in as a coach, working with other much larger organisations, they don't seem to us as huge, but to them they are. And these are the issues and challenges we need to help them to address. 
Yes, and that's the joy of coaching, I think, which is you are with the person where they are, mm. not in a way where we expect them to be. And I love that surprise that you get from coaching somebody who maybe on the surface is incredibly talented and confident and full of gravitas. And the conversations we have are full of vulnerability and yeah. humility and openness. Yeah. And, you know, I find it a real privilege that you can go into the coach's world, not just their business or organisational context, but their personal context. Yes. And they're showing that vulnerability and that human side of their world. Yeah. Many, certainly from my experience, I'm sure from yours as well, is that some of those what you think are small issues for them are huge issues and are really stopping them from bringing their best self to the fore. And I love the word you use in shining, allowing themselves to shine with all that diversity that they might have. Yeah. So thank you for clarifying that. And I think that's useful for our listeners because not all our listeners will be at that executive level, but a lot of our listeners will certainly be leaders and a lot of our listeners will be women leaders. Yeah. So that makes it very relevant to, to the majority, I would say, of our listeners, which is great. So what are some of the issues that women leaders that you coach face and they talk into and they bring to the surface and they, yeah. I guess, open up to you as, as a coach? Now, this is where it does differ according to level sometimes. Okay. Broadly, I would say that I would have a big bucket, which is, which is around psychological safety. Okay. Because the organisations we tend to work in demand that you do show up as confident and capable and willing to take everything on. And sometimes it's difficult for women, especially if they're in a male-dominated mm. organisation, to express vulnerability, to, to express stress, to express a lack of knowledge or experience. And I think that very often I find that the executive women I speak with have a higher standard for themselves. So they okay. set themselves a very high standard that in a way they are less relaxed about failures and mistakes and bumbling around. So I think psychological safety is important. It's not safe for some women because they are the only women. And with that comes some responsibility. So if uh, Trayton amongst nine men says something and it doesn't land well, that's just something that happens. If a woman in the same group, being the only woman, says something that doesn't land well, it tends to colour their view of their interactions, frankly, with other women in the organisation. And that's a responsibility that women carry with them quite often. Okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a woman, so I'd love to understand this because I guess I and I hear the word psych psychological safety and I can relate to because I see it with the, the women that I work with and women within sort of groups that I in team uh, coaching that, that I do. Yeah. Um, but help me to understand further psychological safety. Is, is that for the individual in feeling that internally? Or is that them creating an environment where they create the context going to it, which feels safe for them or a combination of both? So I guess the inner or the outer. Help me understand yes. that, Jennifer. I think for, for a lot of the women that I coach, it's both internal and external. 
And okay. when it's both internal and external, it's because there is dissonance between externally the way it's presented and internally how they experience it. So what would I what would I say as an example? I think of one of a, a senior woman mm. who was incredibly able to speak about what it was like being at senior level and being labelled high potential. And that, you think, is a is a most fabulous thing. It's positive mm. feedback. It's positive reinforcement. And then this woman spoke very openly about what it meant not to achieve that high status that she was expecting. She put all her eggs in one basket, she said, because that's the way she'd been encouraged to do it. And she was expecting a certain job and didn't get it. Okay. And the knock to her confidence, her knock to faith in the organisation, which had led her to believe that like her male counterparts, perhaps, they were going in a step way to this particular job was actually really um, astounding for other women to hear. Okay. And she shared this very openly in an open forum with other women. And that's what I mean about psychological safety. That is not a conversation mm. that women might have with their male peers. It's mm. a conversation maybe that they have to have with their women peers because it's a shared experience. Yeah. And then internally, in terms of psychological safety, I think women are getting much better at thinking about the environment in which they can thrive and the environment in which they can feel safe and setting that up as far as they're able and also being explicit about it. So in coaching women, I often ask them, let's list all the aspects of an environment in which you are going to really shine, that you are absolutely going to thrive. And then we can look at that list and think about which are the ones that you have power and remit to set up for yourselves which do you need a sponsor for which might you need some organizational help which is harder for mm. that and mm. thinking about you know does this work for you Are you in the right organization will you thrive here how will you thrive here yeah i, I find it i guess from a male perspective I, I find it quite frightening that females today still feel in that way and if i was in a male group I'd hope that other males that were around me would treat an individual with the same psychological safety and same context and environment. But what you're saying as a as a female leader, that's not always, from your experience, the case. Although it's changing, what I picked up it is changing. Yeah. It, it, organizations are getting better. See that for me, that quite that scares me a little bit. That organizations, and maybe I'm just blind to it. Maybe I just don't see it because I am that, you know, a male. So, and I think, Trayton, that's part of the issue that yeah. you're saying you are a man and you are blind to it. So I'm not suggesting it's malign. Hmm. It can be just negligent. And, you know, the classic is you walk into a room and the conversation is not about women's football. It's about male football. Well, it's just about football. I wrote a blog on it. It's football, yes. right? It's not male or female or women's, men's. Yeah, it's football. That's it's the sport. Yes, but there is something about when men are comfortable with each other, the sorts of things they talk about. There's something about when sure. women are comfortable with each other, the things they sort talk about. 
yeah. and men are blind to the fact that there is another way to be inclusive of people in the room. Okay, okay. yeah, okay. So everybody, whether male or female, should be inclusive of the language and ensuring that everyone is included within and adjust the approach so that environment, that external environment is created to feel inclusive. Yeah, there were a lot of shoulds in that conversation, Trayton. You know, and I think we have to work with the world as it is. Yeah. And shoulds are a hard thing to ask somebody to do. So what you might think about in a different way as a man is if you are hosting this event. Yeah. How would you be? Because you would be very different perhaps, to when you're chairing a meeting. And I'm not talking about you personally. I'm just sure, saying generally, sure. generally people who yeah. are chairing meetings are chairing meetings and they're directional and this sort of thing. And if you were thinking about it as I'm hosting and I'm curious about everybody in the room, you might behave differently. Yeah. OK, great. So I feel I've got a lot to learn still, <laughs> which is great because I love learning. And I certainly my aim is to be inclusive and as empathetic as understanding as possible. Obviously, the coaching helps with that, but just generally as yes. a human being. So going back, I guess, to the topic and rather yes. than talking about my experience, but yes. how do you help women to, and, and you said interesting comment, the more senior, the higher standards they set. Yeah. So I'm curious to those standards and how you help women to achieve those standards and help I guess, educate themselves. But the other equation is it's educating others that they're operating with. Yeah. So um, sometimes I'm not actually helping them achieve those high standards because sometimes they're unrealistic. OK. Again, it's about uh, I have to be better than. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> it's, you know, maybe not serving you as a woman well that you feel that you always have to be better than what is it the best you can be what is it that's demanded of your role and if you're thinking about a different role then what does that take so it's not just an absolute i must be better than everybody because that's yeah. that leads to you know the imposter phenomenon it leads to stress it leads to you actually overworking and and not working effectively so sometimes the conversation is partly about holding a mirror up to a woman. And mm -hmm. so I remember coaching um, somebody in a professional services context who was, gosh, um, you know, I, I don't have a life because I spend all my time having client dinners because I need to. And I'm really terrible at networking. I find that I spend all my time going to all these extra meetings, et cetera. And um, and I'm still not being recognized for how good I am. And, and therefore, I have to prove myself and I have to over credentialize myself. Hmm. So in this organization, I I pointed out you have targets and goals. How are you doing against your set goals? Oh, I smashed them halfway through the year. Mm, mm, mm. That leads you on to a different conversation. So you have met and exceeded your annual targets just in half a year. What does that tell you about your value to the organisation? What does that tell you about your options, about what you can do next? And just changing the perception and allowing women to step into their power 
Because one of the other things to note is when you get to very senior levels, there are fewer women. There are two sides of that particular coin. So one side uh, is what I call the work tax. So you are a senior woman, you are invited onto every panel there is. You represent the organisation at every event there is. You're invited to go and meet clients who are really expecting a diverse team coming into the room. You are heading up the women's network. You are mentoring and sponsoring other women. And there is a work tax. Some of that will be useful for you and your career. Some of that will just be overwhelming burden. Mm-hmm. And so it's thinking as well about the leverage you have and what you want. If you are in great demand, where would you want to focus your attention? Where would you want to focus your energies that helps you in your career and also gives value to the organisation? So there's something about women recognising the power they have and stepping in and leveraging that. And that's something that I find either that women are unwilling to do because they talk Mm. loyalty to the company. They talk about their other colleagues. uh, They talk about, oh, gosh, I hate promoting myself. I hate, you know, being the one in the room with all the attention on. They are the one in the room where all the attention Mm. is because Mm. they Mm. tend to be in fewer numbers than anybody else. So I always used to say about myself when I was working in consultancy that I would take advantage of the fact that when I walked into a room, everybody knew my name. Now, they might have known my name because it was the only black woman at this level in this organisation. But I considered that as something that I could use. And I used to say to other of my colleagues, what do you think your male white here would give for him to walk into the room and everybody to know his name Mm, mm. and how might he take advantage of that yeah so what i'm picking up here is understanding the power that you have yes leveraging that to your advantage but also focusing that power so that you don't overdo it because there's a danger, I guess, here that, that all those things you listed that you then comes diluted. Yes. And that power is seen but not impactful. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. So it's not impactful. Yeah. You're doing a lot of non-core work, so your core work actually might be suffering. And then you, and you miss not... out on the targets and those yes. other core elements yes. that you will be judged yes. on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And people aren't valuing it because you're doing it in a selfless way without actually asking for resources. One of the things I say about stepping into your power is if you are required to do all of this and it is valuable to the organisation, what are the resources you need in order to help you do that? So what are the Mm. things you're not going to do that somebody else needs to pick up? Yeah, no, fascinating. That's a really interesting way of, of looking at that. And with this power, you know, because if a man was to take advantage of power, it potentially could be seen as a negative. So how do you help women to to take advantage of that power, but use it in a what's perceived as a positive way? Yeah. And again, that's such an interesting question because men do take advantage of the power. Mm. They will always talk about, you know, their sponsor or what they're going to do next or who they need to network with in order to do next. And that's the power I mean. So it's the power that you naturally have in an organisation that you use to create opportunities for your career. 
it's not taking power as a woman, it's leveraging the power you have. And some of that has come to you because you are unusual in an organisation. Yeah. And I guess the other key part of that, and I see it in many leaders, male and female, is that the use of that power, but using it in an authentic way. Yeah. So tell me how you help female leaders to be authentic to themselves, but also to, I guess, shine and to get promoted and to be successful. I think that's one of the most difficult things that we do as coaches, because we have to understand the organisational context in which they're working. If I think about women of colour in very senior roles, this is such an acute live conversation. You know, what is too black? What is too Asian? What is too, you know, Muslim in an Mm. organisation? Because Mm. that is something that you bring. And how much of that authenticity do you show Mm. in a context that doesn't get rejected? And the balance is, well, the organisation should accept me as I am Mm. versus the, but I'm not going to do something that gets me spat out of an organisation. And I think that that is an additional burden that women executives face that maybe their men counterparts don't face. Yeah, okay. So what I'm hearing here, a skill of a successful executive woman is to understand the context in which they're operating and making sure they get that imbalance and can go at a pace or a momentum that doesn't rock the boat, if I may use that term, too much. And it's trying to push something that the system that it's operating in just doesn't accept or sees it as a negative. And and that for me is a really tricky, must be a really tricky balance to get right. It is a tricky balance. And there's an implication there that you should go only at the pace that the organisation wants you to go, because that's not true. Okay. Because otherwise there is no progress. So it's about how do you, as one person, push the organisation forward, because it is got to have forward momentum so that you can bring more of your authentic self to work. Yeah, sure. Push them a little bit more. I can bring more of my authentic self to work. And some of the conversations that we've had with executive women, especially of black women, mm. are about um, the conversation around hair. And so there was used to be unspoken thing around if I came to work and my hair was very straight, and quite long people might say oh you look very professional today okay if i came as it is now quite natural and curly and a different color people would say oh you look really great with your hair the way it was last week and that is all about what is an archetype of a an executive or a successful executive in an organization and Mm. so as a woman Mm. of color what do i do about that do i wear my hair the way I want to wear it, or do I actually moderate what I do? And that's Mm. a personal choice. Mm. But it's a conscious personal choice. And it's also, what is it that I'm trying to do with that? Do I want to be having an open conversation about that? Or do I let it go? And and Jennifer, when you Mm. say moving the the organisation on, 
Yes. Are you talking from a moving in on so it's more inclusive and yes. it allows everybody to be more authentic? Yes. Or are you talking about moving it on, I guess, in, in a commercial a growth way? I'm not or you too, may be talking about both. Yeah, I'm not certain that the two things aren't connected. Yeah, sure. Yes, because we know that organisations that are inclusive mm. tend to be more profitable if we mm. want to use mm. that measure. So sure. I don't think that the two things need to be in uh, dissonance with each other. Sure. So what you've said, Jennifer, is that sort of allowing the organisation to move faster is around the inclusivity piece, which then leads to, using your term, you said higher profits. I, I would look at leaders generally, women or men, who are there to grow the business. And inclusivity and other elements, diversity, all those great things may be part of that. But my focus, my lens, my attention, where I go back to the previous conversation, where I focus my power is about making the organisation more successful. Yeah. And, and for me, that's a slightly different perspective that a leader, male or female, would take you know, in growing the business and extending the business and accelerating the, the organisation in the way yeah. that it's there to do. Yeah, I can see that. I think that what successful leaders do is mm. they understand the part that an inclusive culture plays in that growth. Okay. So they yeah. can articulate in a way that's not general, it's nice to have, it's the right thing to do. They can articulate exactly what it is that working more inclusively will do to benefit their objectives, whether that's a business objective or otherwise, or their, any of their growth aspirations. Yeah. And I guess a great leader, male or female, will understand that inclusivity, embrace it, and use the diversity that sits within it to be more innovative and creative and see different perspectives and connect with customers and colleagues in different ways that make it greater and even better. Absolutely. But that yeah. leader needs to say, it's this sort of a customer. It's for this particular part of the growth rather than a sort of a general, it's good for everybody. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that executive women need to be aware of need to tread delicately what I've taken from the conversation and be quite smart in the way that they use their power and leverage that power for better inclusivity, but also better things for, for the organisation. So what are the, some of the tools that you'd be using or some case studies that you can share with us of how you've helped executive women to, to do that and succeed in, in doing yeah. that? I'll start with the principle first and then I'll, I'll think about a, a good case yes, study. Yeah, brilliant. And one of the principles, um, I think, for executive women and for men too, is to understand what your true purpose is. And that's a purpose outside work because you bring that purpose into work mm. and things really happen. So many people will talk about their purpose in terms of their role. Yeah. Mm, if you strip that back and say, okay, what is the value that you're bringing to this role? And why is it you and uniquely you? And what is it you want to do? What's your legacy? Why is that your legacy? What's your purpose? And then get them to really think about all those motivating factors and how that applies to the role they're in. I think then people start to focus on their strengths, 
Mm. uh, focus on confidence as well as capability. And if I think about some of the people I've worked with, I think of somebody who's had a very strong community uh, purpose. Okay. And so what she did in an organisation was build communities uh, around yeah. her mm. and for other people who worked well together. And she said, one of the things I do is, I just don't know how, but I put two people or three people or a group together that you wouldn't really think would work and magic happens. Because what she wanted to do was build communities and Mm. she understood about how you brought people together. And she actually was sort of a success story. So here was the success. The success was moving her from somebody who doubted her capability, was really not confident in the role that she was playing, then got very comfortable in that role, chief executive, said, you're going to be my successor. I'm putting you on my successor planning. And here's the first step. Consider taking this role. It's a step up. It gives you sort of experience that you'll need as a chief executive. And she said no. And she said no, because being a chief executive in that particular organisation meant that what her key purpose was around building communities would be distant from the role that she was asked to play. So successful in one way, in that she was recognised as a successor to the chief executive, and not so successful maybe in that she turned the role down. There Mm. is a sort of happy ending to that story, which is actually they're thinking about what does it mean for her to be a different sort of chief executive Mm. in that organisation, because they recognise the values that she brings. And I guess there's a success story there because I'm assuming your client was happy within herself and shining because she found her purpose, but was able to develop that into a way of operating that made others successful, like communities do. Absolutely. Yeah. But one of the things she said was, I would never have considered turning down that role if we hadn't had this coaching engagement. Yeah. And as you quite rightly say learning that skill and and understanding her purpose and being authentic to that allowed her to be more happy I would think internally but also being clear about what maybe other CEO roles might work with that skill set and that purpose within other organizations maybe not the one in which she was was in so it was about understanding her value and the value she brought and not trying to bring somebody else's value sure and it's interesting you, you bring that up as the first sort of principle, Jennifer, yeah. because when I've spoken to other chief execs, the, the thing that I've asked, you know, what's been the one successful thing through your career is that being true to myself around my purpose and values uh, and by doing that and aligning those to where I want to go and where I can put my energy and focus that energy and that power going back to a conversation made them very happy, but also made them very successful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So on a more practical note, are there some coaching tools that you find yourself using quite regularly when you're working with executive women around these sorts of issues or topics that our coaches can look into a little bit further? Yes. 
So, Jayden, um, we talked about me having over 20 years experience. So there's a lot of tools I'm sure. <laughs> in my tool bag. So yeah. I'm not something that I use any more than others, although I do love, yeah, let me just say a couple of really simple tools that I use. Right. Yeah. In terms of agreeing something that somebody's going to do, my favourite tool it is so simple. On a scale of one to seven, how confident are you that mm. you're going to do this? One being not confident at all and seven being very confident. Mm. And that's the link hurt scale, which means that you have to be one side or other of mm. negative or positive. So that's the mm. first conversation. Oh, yeah. OK, you've said three. That means that there's less chance you're going to do it. Let's have a conversation about that. Or mm. if it's a five conversation, what would move it to a six? And that's usually at the end of a coaching conversation because it just makes things a little bit sharper. If, yeah. for instance, we've fallen together into the trap of I should do this or yes, of course, I'm going to do this when we know there's a history of that being a really difficult thing to do. So that's one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if I, I love... could just build on that, Jennifer, because mm. I, I, it's a very simple tool, but it's brilliant, yes. isn't it? Because it just gives context and you just say one side positive or negative. The other question, if I can just build on what you said there, that I like to ask, they might say, where are you on that scale? They might say three. Yes. The other question which I find really helps and just evokes excitement and nervousness, but movement is where would you like it to be? Yes. Yeah. Rather than say, oh, how do you make it a six? Yes. Where would you like it to be? Well, I'd love it to be a six. Great. Well, then tell me how you can make it yes. a six. And then you're into, as you say, you're into that conversation. Yeah. And the magic then of coaching takes over. Yeah. Lovely. Um, I use a two by two for everything, Trayton. <laughs> <laughs> That's your right. consultancy background coming through. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Because it is so handy. You know, the yeah. answer is always the top right hand corner. Just <laughs> yeah. choose your axes. Yeah. So one axis is impact. The other axis may be ability to do whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. You know, and you plot where are you on different things or what it is you need, the answer is yeah. always the top right-hand corner. So yeah. I can always remember that. But apart from that, um, I certainly encourage people to develop their own frameworks and models, yep. especially if we're talking about leadership. What's your model of leadership? How do you lead? What is your style? What makes a good leader? What makes you a good leader? I'm not so fond of which good leaders have you seen and sure. actually amplify that because I think, a, especially if you're talking to women, you have fewer role models to choose from. And so maybe you're, you're, you're picking from a very small um, set of people when in fact your model is over there somewhere and, mm. and totally different. But certainly getting people to really think about what sort of leader am I? Yeah. You know, what are my uh, principles? And I love that it keeps it keeps their leadership style authentic and real yes. and human rather than trying to be something they're naturally not. Yeah. Because um, they need to be themselves to be their true selves. Absolutely. The other question that I sometimes ask in that is, yeah. you know, where have you felt great leadership or seen great leadership? And that brings it alive. Yeah. But this is what the impact has had on me. And that's how I because I know it's a positive impact. That's how the impact I want to have. And others. So there's another question that you can yeah. build on there as well. And and very often I might be having that conversation of new leaders. No, not new leaders, leaders who've taken on a different role, perhaps. Yeah. 
And yeah. then having had that conversation going, and have you told the people you're leading that? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because what do you want from somebody who's just taken a leadership role? You want to know what they expect, what they like, what they don't like, what triggers them, whatever it is, to share that yeah. with the people you're leading. And, and I also like um, getting people to label the leadership that they're doing so have an identity of the type yes. of leader they want yeah. to be and that's useful when they're transitioning from one role to the next because they do need to step up if you like and be a different type of leader but keep that authenticity within that so i, I find that sort of question how do you identify or what as you say what type of leader do you yeah. want to be or do you need to be for yeah. this yeah you mentioned in the introduction that i often work in an environment of turbulent change so some of the key models I use are around change yeah. and how people view change. What sort of change are they on? Is it a nice linear one where quite a lot of the leader's role will be just to, not just, but to focus on having conversations and aligning people with the vision? You know, yeah. And then you just use something very simple around storytelling you know, yeah, nice. this is our journey. Or sometimes I get them to talk about it as a fairy tale. Who's the hero? Mm. Who's the villain? You know, along the road, what are you going to meet? But yeah. just in a way to lighten it and to get them to use analogies rather than, well, of course, we're going to go up three points in the NASDAQ, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, so just to make it a bit more relatable to yeah. absolutely and i guess for the story you put yourself in the story because it's the story you're telling so it's yours right it's not yes. a story that's being done to you yeah and i always find you know change is a story that unfolds like any story i mean i talk into the william bridges transition yes. model your yeah. story has an ending you've come out of this other chapter that you're in transition to new beginnings you're turning the page yeah let me use that analogy to this new leadership role so what does that mean for you in these new beginnings and what you need to sometimes let go of yeah um, which is a nice analogy with that as well yeah yeah right and what i find with using if you introduce as you say stories that then leaders start to use storytelling as part Absolutely. of the vision of where they want to go which is for me is inspiring and it brings alive and it makes it more so inclusive because everybody in, in their charters have had a story so suddenly yes. that brings it alive and they start to interpret their own story around your story so that, that's very powerful yeah. Great. Yeah. Are there any other top tips that you give our coaches or HR professionals that are listening to, you know, if they themselves are a executive woman or they're a, a leader within an organization, any top tips that just for them to reflect on and take away from the podcast today? Um, I would think about confident comportment. I heard that phrase the other day and Ooh, I'm nice. just Explain more. It. It's just so lovely. So, you know, when I'm talking to women, I ask, what are you wearing when you feel the strongest? Mm. Know what your suit of armour looks like. Mm. You know, is it red lipstick? Is it, you know, a really expensive designer pair of shoes? They are not small things if it makes you stand taller, feel stronger, stride into a room with a confidence that you don't feel. Yeah. So don't minimise that. And, but know what it is. Yeah. Certainly. Think about, especially for women, how you stop a conversation. Maybe when you're in a group full of ebullient men, how do you get your voice heard? 
if it's not a voice that they're used to listening to? What are the strategies you use to stop the conversation so that there is a pause into which you say something? Especially hard for women who have a preference for introversion. Sure, yeah. And to do it in a way that is not trying to be the same as somebody who is, like me, much louder and much more extrovert. That how do you use your introversion, your ability to observe and listen and summarise in a way that allows your voice to be heard? So you want, you know, we're aiming for Jennifer perhaps doesn't enter into the fray, but when she speaks, don't we all listen? It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And so using some of those sorts of techniques. And I think the other thing would be go and find your tribe. Go okay. find your posse that's going to give you that support in an organisation, you know, men or women, yeah. that you can be vulnerable with, that you can have psychological safety with, that you can test things. I think that's critical, especially mm-hmm. for executive women, if they're not in a position where they have those people around them naturally. So three great tips, if I can just summarise. The first one is find your suit of armour, whatever that might be and use it. Don't be afraid of it. Feel comfortable and enjoy wearing it. Get your voice heard and then find your tribe are the three top tips. Absolutely. Great. Jennifer, thank you. Well, listen, sadly, time's got the better of us. But what I like to do for all my uh, guests is ask one simple question before I let them go, so to speak. And that question is, at Coaching Focus, we have a simple purpose. Going back to the purpose, what we're all about, our values. And our purpose is coaching for a better tomorrow. So from your perspective, with your many years experience, how do you interpret what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean for you? I think it means actually that we have helped to get places of work to be inclusive and stimulating and innovative for all the people that work inside it. Fantastic. Wouldn't that be a beautiful place to be working in? It's certainly very interesting. (laughs) Great. Jennifer, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been fascinating. I've learned a lot, as I always do when I speak to you, and I'm sure our listeners have. So so thank you for your time and thank you for all your wisdom. Trayton, it was a pleasure and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Mm -hmm.